0: So last week we started our message by looking at all of the most followed religions in the world, the most popular religions and by population. And we asked why is the Bible more trustworthy, or perhaps more convincing in light of all these different options? Why why the Bible over everything else? And I feel like we did a pretty good job talking about that. Also well, you came to belief in the Bible. Right? And you say, well, there, there seems to be a lot of evidence for that. It seems to be true. It seems to be consistent. But that doesn't answer all of our questions. Just because we get to the Bible doesn't mean that we're done because people within singular belief systems tend to disagree on the interpretation of those beliefs, which can be a little bit tricky and interesting. So any guesses on how many different Christian denominations there are in the world? (laughs) 74,000. Honestly, not that far off. It's a little high. Any other guesses? Can anybody get it just right? (laughs) 48,000. Oh, that's so close. I'm going to give you points for that. (laughs) 45,000-ish. Different denominations in Christianity. Technically, 74,000 and 48,000 are over 45,000. So, there are over 45,000 different denominations in Christianity. Now, here's another uh, trivia for you. Anybody have any guesses about how many verses there are in the Bible? There's a bunch of them. That's for sure. Any guesses? Over 45,000. No. <laughs> nope. There are only thirty-one thousand one hundred two different verses in the Bible. Now, is that according to Google. <laughs> actually, yeah, it is <laughs> according to Google. Now, 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 there are some translations that put things together in different ways. So this isn't an exact number. There are, I guess, roughly thirty-one thousand one hundred different verses in the Bible. But this is kind of interesting to me because this means that. Every single denomination could pick one verse to disagree about with everybody else, and there would still be extra denominations left over. <laughs> that may surprise you, <laughs> I think, to find out that, that there are so many different denominations. I, honestly, it's a little concerning, right? Because it may cause you to ask, if, if the Bible is true, how can, we, how, how can there be so many different opinions about what it says? And that's a fair question. And I will say this, almost all churches hold some very central beliefs that make them Christian, such as Jesus was a real person who died for our sins and rose from the dead to eternal life, and if you make him your Lord, you will be saved. That seems to be the pretty core foundational belief of all these churches. right? That's just one, but there are some others. But despite our common beliefs, we also live... In an interesting time in history where society, not, I'm not talking just about the church, but society in general has been influenced by postmodernism and post postmodernism, which is something you may not have heard of, but it's after postmodernism. And it's like even to the next extent where they're just like everybody's tired of it and they've given up. So we live in this age now, the, the consequence of all these uh, smart French people who came up with postmodernism and others. We live in this age, thanks to them, where we get to live your own truth. That's something you might have seen on Facebook, or You Do You, you do you, boo. <laughs> you do you culture. You live your own truth culture. You have heard uh, maybe of the, the band Panic at the Disco, a uh, pretty popular band. And they came out with a really popular song in 2016, which I know is so long ago. But I think it sums up some of the words in that song, I think, sum up our culture pretty well. Today, uh, they say in, that, in the song Emperor's New Clothes that came out in 2016, if it feels good, tastes good, it must be mine. And that's kind of the core of the song, is that uh, we're all about greed. And we're all about ourselves. And the world is driven by that definition of truth. If you want to even call it truth at that point. And, and so everybody takes their opinions on what is right based on if it feels good to them, if it tastes good to them, then it's theirs. And they, they take that and they make that their truth, their, their truth, which is so oxymoronic. Their truth doesn't even really seem to make sense to me as a phrase, but they do. And it's based on what they want. And they're not shy about sharing it either. That's maybe one of the biggest problems is that they don't keep it to themselves. With the advent of <laughs> with the advent of social media and, and this globally connected internet, there are millions of people all sharing their truth, and you can read their truth whenever you want to. With the onslaught of all this information. It can bring up a lot of different views, and that may lead you to question what you believe and what you think is true, especially when really smart people or people you really love and trust have different opinions than you. And I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying I'm close-minded, right? I'm not saying that everybody has a different opinion of me is wrong. They probably are, but I'm not saying they are categorically. <laughs> I'm actually. And Enneagram 9, I love making peace, so like I'm never going to disagree with anyone. That's not, that's not quite true. So I'm, I'm sure you, like me, in this world, have been confronted with different opinions, different worldviews, and they probably made you take a step back and made you question, what do I believe? Is what I believe really true? Do I need to change my mind about something? And you probably heard me say before, but when I was uh, the first couple years of Bible college, mostly my first year of Bible college, I really was struggling with my faith, and I had a lot of questions, which seems like the wrong time to be questioning your faith when you're at Bible college, but that's what happened to me, and you may have been in the same place where uh, you were questioning your faith, or questioning a specific part of your faith, and you may have felt guilty about questioning your faith. Some people think it's wrong to ask questions about your faith. You should just believe it blindly and leave it at that. And whatever you're told, whatever you know, you should stick with it, no matter what. And I'm not sure that's the healthiest way. Did it just get darker in here? Okay. So today... (laughs) Today we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about questioning our faith. Okay? That's, That's the point. And... Is it okay? How do we do it? Let's start with maybe one of the most famous examples. Mark chapter 9 of, of someone who uh, uses this phrase doubt in scripture. In Mark chapter 9, uh, 14 through 29, Jesus has just uh, been on the Mount of Transfiguration, we call it, where, where Jesus shows us his future glory. And he's coming back and they run into this scenario here in verse 14. So when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some of the scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw them, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, "O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, please take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, the disciples began questioning him privately, "Why could we not drive it out?" And he said to them, "This kind can only come out, cannot come out by anything except prayer." So there is this pattern here, I think, in this story that reflects I think what happens in our lives, and I think it's happened in all of our lives, not that we all ran into demon-possessed people and we're trying to cast them out and it doesn't work. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about this bigger overarching, the elements of the story here. So what are the elements in the story? Well, there are people who have faith, the disciples, and they're confronted by a problem. right? And we run into those situations, and maybe even one that we've had experience with. And when we try to do what we think the solution to that problem is, we fail. Right, And when we fail, we start questioning ourselves. Now, it might not be casting out a demon like in this scenario, but I think it can take an endless amount of options. It could be uh, your emotions get frayed, our beliefs are confronted by someone else's opinions or truth, or maybe our bodies are being pushed to the limits, and you feel like you're falling apart. And despite what we think is true, we we start to question, like even if we have faith, and then Jesus comes along, and then he reminds us of our faith, and just like the father in the story. Jesus says, "If I can," and we're like the father that says, "I do believe, but help my unbelief," which is an admission that we believe our beliefs are imperfect and that we're lacking. We're lacking in faith. For Christians, I think both new and old, running into faith roadblocks can be difficult, and, and they will happen. And if they're handled improperly, we can de- it can de- derail our faith. It can shoot us off in the wrong direction. However, if they're handled in an appropriate manner, if they're handled in a healthy way, then I think they actually lend to growing our faith. They, they help us in the end. So when it comes to questioning our faith, are we allowed to do it, is one question I want to answer. And if the answer is yes, then what is the right way to question our faith? Right, What's the healthy way? So sometimes the Bible doesn't always answer the questions that we ask in the way that we want it to be answered to us. So ideally, yes, Jesus would have preached a sermon where he said, hey, if you have any questions, about your faith or this specific doctrine, or you have this difficulty. I want you to do this, 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 and this. And if that doesn't work, here are some plan B steps you can take, right? That, that would be super awesome. But I think that the way that God speaks to us and the way that he speaks to us through Jesus is meant to draw us into their word, right? It, it's meant to make us peer deeply into what we are reading and what we're thinking about to help bring us to understanding. It's not like everything's hidden in a, in a riddle or metaphor. That's not what I'm saying. Although sometimes there are parables and things like that. But I think their words in general. They help push us to be considerate and mindful instead of just looking for a step-by-step Cliff Notes version for us to do, right? That's what we want, <laughs> I think. We want the digested checkboxes that we can just say, okay, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this. Here's what I need to do next steps. That, like, when you Google search how to change the exhaust manifold on your Grand Marquis, you want the step by step by steps, and you don't want the guy on YouTube rambling about his mechanical experience and how that. You know, we want the things that we need to do. We don't want all the other parts. But to God and Jesus, all the other parts are so important. And so they don't sometimes answer our questions exactly the way that we want them to be answered. And so sometimes we have to actually work and look through Scripture and try to come away with something that helps us answer our questions. So we're going to take a look at a few different verses here. We're just going to look at all of them, and we're going to try boiling down what is actually being told to us through these verses? So these are all verses pertaining to our topic today. So Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without, all, without reproach, and it will be given him. Proverbs fifteen fourteen, The heart of him... Who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. Second Peter 3, 17 through 18. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last one here. Job 12, 11 through 12. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes its food? Wisdom is with aged men. With long life is understanding. So I think sometimes what we need to do I think we need to lay out a lot of different verses that talk about our subject so that we don't miss anything. So that we paint an overarching picture of what God says throughout his word in different places. This can be troublesome if you try to cherry pick verses and you pull them out of context and you don't use them in the way that they're intended but the opposite is true, is if you only look at one verse and you don't consider everything else, then you can also be misled. So we need to make sure that we are taking in a lot of information in the correct way. So when we look at these verses, what are they telling us? Like, so if we had to digest what these verses are saying, what do we find? For one, I see working on our knowledge and continuing to grow as a theme. That's reoccurring. I see a recognition that at a time, or different times, we are going to lack full understanding, which requires us to ask for it. I see that we are going to be continually in pursuit of seeking and testing knowledge. I see that our pursuit of truth is rewarded. I see that, importantly, a lack of knowledge is dangerous. And I think all these verses tell us that a major component of understanding is time. Now, when we look at these verses, we might not see the exact words doubt or questions, right? It's not answering our question as, our question is, can we question faith? And it's not answering that question very specifically by saying, yes, you can question your faith in these ways. But what it is doing is it's mentioning the importance of knowledge, the importance of wisdom, the importance of taking time to do that. And isn't a question nothing more than just an admission, you don't know everything. Right, And so if we look and we say, oh, we lack knowledge, we, we need to be seeking after knowledge, we need to continue to grow, that is an admission that questions are okay. That we don't know everything. I think this is clear evidence here that we need to continue to seek and to learn. And it shows us that over time, throughout the years, we are going to continue to grow. And if we don't focus on that, If we don't ask questions, if we don't admit we lack knowledge, then we become fools, and that becomes very dangerous. So like I said, the Bible doesn't answer the questions maybe in the way we expect it to, but it does lead us to the correct understanding if we give it the time and we look. Now, I want us to discuss just for a few minutes here the difference between unhealthy and unhealthy ways of going about questioning our faith. So first, let's talk about the unhealthy way. Let's set up a scenario here. Let's say you're on Facebook, and uh, a famous atheist like Sam Harris, for example, pops up into your feed. You may have heard of him, and he's pretty against Christianity. And you listen to maybe a a speech he does or something like that, and he gives you uh, some evidence. You find some evidence that contradicts what you believe, right? The unhealthy way to handle that situation would be to say, I'm confused, I've never heard anything like this before, and I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to throw out my belief. I'm going to throw my hands up in the air because I don't know the immediate answer to what he's telling me, which means obviously my faith must not be real. And we can get to this irrational thinking, and we're just going to say, okay, everything is gone. I don't know what to believe anymore. So I'm just going to choose not to. I'm just going to say, you know what? Truth might be relative. Truth isn't that important. Because everybody seems to have a different opinion, so I'm just not going to give in any effort. That, that is a very unhealthy way of handling it. And if we do that, it's, it's going to lead, if we, unhandle, if we handle things in an unhealthy way, it's going to lead to us maybe being more relaxed about our beliefs. Or even worse, it's just going to lead to our beliefs being deconstructed all the way down to nothing and resulting in no reconstruction and we're just left in ruins. And a small doubt, even a small one, a small question handled in an unhealthy way leads us to a nosedive. And it can lead us to abandoning things that we have good evidence for, that we believe for good reasons. And we just get scared or, or we don't know quite how to handle it. And so we throw out things that we actually believe for good reasons without thinking and remembering why we believe them. Now, think about this situation in a healthy way. Think about it. Uh, you once again you're confronted by maybe some things you haven't heard before. Instead of going into this nose dive, right? You say, you know what? I have some questions about what I heard, right? But instead of nose diving, you take time to think about it, right? You take a step back and you say, well, what did he say? Is there actually any evidence? Is there any, where where are his original sources? Where is his founding of what he said, right? Why do I believe these things that seem to contradict it? And you go back and you look at it. And that's not a bad thing to do. Don't freak out. Just ask good questions and seek good answers, right? That's the healthy way. And there's nothing wrong with that. As Sean Finnegan says, he's a pastor from New York, a friend of mine. He says, the truth has nothing to fear. And I truly believe that because there are no facts out there that we should be afraid of. It's not like, oh, I'm not going to go looking into that because then I might change my mind. No, that's a really unhealthy way to look at things. You need to be walking with boldness into the truth. And if we dive deeper into something that someone else says or a different opinion in a healthy way, what happens? Well, we walk away with a better understanding of someone else. And we walk away with a better understanding of our own belief. Which I think is exactly what we read in Second Peter 3 where it says, continue growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's when we are confronted by different things that we are spurred to go back into the scripture and to see what does it say. And every time we do that, we are being built up. So questions in general are just a neutral thing. They're they're not going to hurt us, and they're not going to help us. What hurts us or helps us is how we handle them. And the thing that does get us into trouble, though, questions aren't bad, they aren't good, it's just how we handle them. The thing that does get us into trouble are objections. Now, there's a difference. An objection is where we are no longer asking why we believe something, or how does our belief work. We've already answered those questions, An objection is where we have a good understanding of what God says, but we decide to deliberately not act on it or to do something else. So an objection is saying, God, I know what you say and I know why, but I'm just choosing not to. And to choose to not do something you know God wants you to do is literally the definition of sin. And that will lead us to very dangerous places, to destruction in the end. So yes, It can be healthy to ask questions. And if we're willing to work to slightly deconstruct our faith and go back to maybe some more foundational things, and then if we're willing to do the work to reconstruct it, to reconstruct why we believe something, our faith is going to be stronger. And if we're willing to take the time to do that, we should. We should do that, actually. So here's what I think we can take away from today. Number one, you can question your faith. I think it's appropriate for you to ask questions about your faith. And it's simple, but it's important for us to internalize. And it's even beneficial for us to test what we hear and to try to search for the truth. And if you aren't seeking truth, and if you aren't asking yourself why you believe and how these beliefs work, you aren't growing. That's just the truth of it. Number two, question your faith with diligence and discipline. So if you are going to do it, do it in in a healthy way. As we stated before, healthy and unhealthy, the healthy way is questioning your faith that causes you to look into the truth of God's Word compared to what else you might hear. It it draws you deeper into the Bible, it doesn't push you away from it. That's the healthy way of handling it. And it's okay to question yourself, but if you're going to do it, handle it in bite sized pieces. It can be overwhelming. If you are confronted with maybe hundreds of different doctrinal points or eight different points that you heard from some guy on Facebook, and you can say, how can I handle all these at once? Well, don't. Take things small. Take them one at a time. And and if you're in this process and you have questions, which I hopefully you do, you come across something, talk to me about it. Talk to someone you trust about it. There are elders and pastors and teachers here who have knowledge and maybe have thought about things that you are asking about before. So search out authority, trustworthiness in your life and talk to people about it. It's okay to ask questions. In fact, I would love for you to ask questions. If I spent 45 hours a week only talking to you guys one-on-one about truth and never did anything else, I would be doing my job great. Okay, so come to me with questions if you have them or to the elders, or someone else here you trust, or you know, you do your own research as well. That's important. Number three, truth has nothing to fear. Like I said, Sean Finnegan said it, but it's true. It can be difficult to get to a place where you're open to changing your mind. That's hard, to where you can actually say, I'm willing to change my mind if evidence leads me somewhere else. And it's even harder to do that, put it into action in a positive way. That is a tremendous feat. It's very difficult. And it can be uh, scary to change your mind. But if we never change our mind, we never grow. Like I said, it's okay to be open-minded. But you don't want to be so open-minded your brains fall out, right? If, if you put time into studying something and understanding something, and you have good evidence as to why you believe something, it should take a proportional amount of good evidence and time to unchange your mind. You see what I'm saying? So let's say you study uh, the resurrection. And you say, here's why I believe the resurrection, here's what it's about. It should take a proportional amount of evidence and time to change your mind about that. So if you come across a different opinion, you shouldn't just latch on to it right away. You should put equal effort into understanding it. Or you're just doing a bad job of looking at the evidence. So, does that make sense to everybody? Yes. Okay. It's good to have strong-held well, beliefs. Because when you study something for a long time, you should get to that point where you're like, I feel pretty strongly about this. That's okay. That's okay to have strong beliefs. It's healthy. But it's also okay to be open-minded and being willing to change your mind about anything. Because... No matter how long you've been alive or how long you've been trying to figure it out, you're still going to be lacking understanding and knowledge. There's still room for you to grow and to learn. So this week's discussion is setting us up for next week, which is the last message in our series, where we're going to be talking about how to weigh the evidence. So we've looked at, can we question? Next week we're going to be looking at what tools and methods are appropriate to get you to the accurate answer, right? How do you actually go about discerning the truth through that process? So next week, I hope you guys come back to hear that. I'm excited to talk to you about it, but for now, let's join together in prayer. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to come to you and to ask questions and to seek out truth. It really is a privilege to... Have someone like Jesus as our mediator that allows us to come to the foot, the foot of the throne and to ask you anything. I just pray that you help us to uh, stay humble and allow us to be teachable as we seek to know who you are, what you want from us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.